You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we'll be joined by NFL Network Insider Ian Rappaport, Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio, and former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfeld. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Vikings linebacker and now Vikings analyst Ben Lieber. Ben, thanks so much for coming back on the show. So take us through the miracle in Minnesota as you saw it. Were you still down on the field or getting ready for the postgame show? Uh, guys, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I was down on the field. Yeah, I was down on the field, but mentally I was getting ready for the postgame show. You know, we had two different uh, variables going on. If, if the Vikings win, I got to do I got to do X, Y, and Z. If they, if they lose, I got to do X, Y, and Z. So uh, I was going through my checklist of like, all right, here we go. Vikings are going to lose. And, and uh, I've got to you know, do these responsibilities. I got to think about my questions. And next thing you know, like a shot of lightning, uh, there was this surge of electricity and energy just went through everybody as we were watching this play unfold. And it was after that, it was complete pandemonium and chaos and, and uh, insanity. Uh, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Ben, when you speaking of the craziest thing you've ever seen, I, the look that was on Everson Griffin's face, as well as Case Keenum. Yeah. I mean, Everson is on the bench, you know, kind of in that mode of what you just explained, like let's get ready to move on, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and nothing to do with the game, but to do with the off season. And then Case Keenum, he comes back and his mouth, his mouth is wide open. He says, "Oh my God!" And by the time he recognized, he said, "Oh my God!" There was a jolt of electricity went through him, and he went strong crazy. So, how many? people were in that moment of you know after the pandemonium that you mentioned just kind of just erupted how do you feel how did you see everyone else responding to that play that was on the sideline you know obviously there was a group of guys that that they couldn't help but just have their legs carry them into the end zone to celebrate uh with Stefan. but you saw the video of a lot of guys on the sidelines just sort of stunned and shocked and yes there were guys hugging and all that stuff but I'll tell you what is even after the the initial play the the stoppage in play to review it to see if he'd stepped out of bounds and confirm the touchdown and then to bring out the Saints players for that that silly extra point point after deal that they have to go through uh after all that after all the interviews and and all the on-field stuff I was talking to guys in the locker room and they're like, I still can't believe what happened. Like, the guys were still shell-shocked. And, like, they, they had all prepared, I think, mentally that they were, they were going to lose the game. And, and I was talking to Brian Robinson specifically. He was a teammate of mine in 2009 when we lost to the Saints down there. And, and he was still in his pads an hour after the game. You know, other guys had showered, and here he is still in his shoulder pads and full uniform, and he's like, I don't, he's like, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> he goes, I just, he's like, I didn't think that we were going to win the game, and all of a sudden here we are, and, and we won. Ben Lieber is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ben, let's focus on your specialty, defensive football. How do you see the matchup of the Vikings' high-powered offense with all of their skilled playmakers against the top-five defense for the Eagles? Well, you know, it's going to be tough for sure. Um, you look at, obviously, the number one ranked deep, uh, rush defense in the Eagles. They do a great job 
of just their front four. I'm, I'm amazed by watching the film, you know, how little they blitz with their linebackers, how little they blitz with their safeties. They do a lot of things with their front four defensive line. So, you know, just managing those athletic guys up there, especially, you know, out on out on the edges. I think the, the matchup with uh, Rashad Hill and Brandon Graham is going to be something to watch. Um, but I, I do think that they're, just like any, any team, any defense, uh, there are vulnerabilities to this defense. I think their corners are are just good. I don't think that they're great. I think they can be taken advantage of. Uh, I think the the Falcons did especially take advantage of those guys, although they held their own enough to to keep the players out of the end zone. But as far as one-on-one matchups, uh, mono-a-mono, I like our chances with Diggs and Thielen on the outside to exploit those guys. Um, I think that you can run on these guys. I think there, there are opportunities on the perimeter run game, especially if you compress the, the formations and you ask now the corners to be run fitters. I just don't think they're very physical against the run, and I think they're not very good at getting off the blocks as well with the receivers. So I think there are ways that you can compress the, the formations and ask Jarek McKinnon uh, to get around the outside. So, uh, that's a little bit right now the formula that I see of success. Uh, it's going to be tough, though, because, like I said, that front four, they can penetrate, and, and you may have the perfect scheme, but they may go up there and, and blow something up in the backfield. Yeah, they may do that. Um, I think one thing that needs to be, uh, I think probably for certain in this game, to to help that run-stop defense, uh, what about Sandejo, Andrew Sandejo? How is he? Because I keep asking this question. We're not really getting too many answers, but you think he'll be able to uh, play in this game this upcoming weekend? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm actually uh, I'm 99% sure he's going to play in this game. You know, I, I got the feeling that, that Mike Zimmer was already laying the groundwork soon after the game saying, yep, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. I talked to him. He looks great. Um, I think there's going to be sort of a a wink, wink. He went through the percuss- the concussion protocol, and, and he's all good. Uh, had this been a regular season game, say week four, I imagine he'd be sitting out of this game. But they're going to find a way, and, and he's going to be with it enough to find a way himself to get himself mentally ready to play this game. And I, and I know that that's counter to, you know, all the safety protocols and everything that's going on right now. But let's be honest, this is a this is the biggest game of his life. It's the biggest game for a lot of these guys on the team. And because he got his bell rung, um, he's, he's still going to find a way to get on the field. So I expect him to be playing on Sunday. Chatting with Ben Lieber, former Vikings linebacker. Ben, should we give more credit to the Vikings running game after Dalvin Cook went down with the torn ACL? And as you know, he was sensational to start his rookie season coming out of Florida State. Murray and McKinnon have been able to hold things together nicely. Yeah, they really have. You know, they, they, they're doing enough to, I think, you know, provide a threat. And, and that's all you need when you have a team that uses play-action pass and, and you want to get an extra safety committed to the box and have guys singled up on the outside. Uh, so they're doing enough. You know, are they as explosive and, quote-unquote, dynamic? No, they're not. But between the two of them, i got to say that i, I got to give a lot of credit to Latavius. I'm, I'm not a big fan of his running style. I, I think that he runs into some people a little too often and, and uh, he misses some holes. But, you know, he's a big, strong runner. And you've you got to give him credit for guys that sort of bounce off of him and guys that miss arm tackles and, and his ability just to make a, a slight adjustment, maybe not a complete juke move, but, you know, he does enough with his wiggle to make guys miss and, and to find some, some open running lanes. So he's, he's been effective. And, and along with, with Jarek, uh, who's, I got to give it, give him a ton of credit. 
he was he was challenged in the offseason of putting on weight and putting on strength because too many times last year he was he was going down with arm tackles and he wasn't breaking enough tackles at the line of scrimmage and this year he came back you know he put on about 10 pounds you could you could see his his thighs and his hips are a little bit bigger he's making himself look more like a running back and i think it's really paid off he's he's been fantastic for what they want him to do Case Keenum, has he done enough to be given an opportunity to be a starter uh, with this Minnesota Vikings team next year or just to start in the National Football League? I think he's done enough, for sure. Um, I think you're starting to understand what his style of play is. It's a little backyard. It's a little gunslinger. And you're going to have to live with some mistakes. You're going to have to live with some times where you want to pull your hair out and, and wonder, why did you make that throw or why did you make that decision? But just as he makes that play... Uh, let's just go back to this last game. He has a he has a terrible interception, and then his very next pass on the next series, he drops it right into Jerry Wright, Jarius Wright's uh, belly on a phenomenal play and a, and a great pass over his shoulder that required some some arm strength and some touch. So uh, I, I think he he has the ability to be a franchise quarterback. Uh, he will make some mistakes, but I think man, he he's fun to watch. He's going to bail you out a lot of times. He has athleticism enough to move around the pocket to extend some plays to give his receivers a chance and most importantly i think he has that it factor when it comes to leadership guys just really respond to him i think it's he walks the walk uh he's not one of these guys that is in the locker room preaching this that and the other and then turning his back and doing something else uh he's a great man of faith and and religion and i know that resonates with a lot of guys in the locker room as well and, and to that, he, he walks the walk as well. He's not a guy that goes to chapel and then goes out and runs the streets the same night, um, which, you know, that's a whole other topic of conversation, which I feel like is, is littered with the NFL. Um, but he, he's a guy that guys can really rally behind, and, and you can find a lot, of, a lot of commonality with him. And he's sort of this every man that, that works his tail off, and, and you respect him for it. And let's wrap it up with the big picture. If you had to focus on one area, one component as to what the entire NFC championship game could hinge on coming up Sunday in Philadelphia, what would that area be? I would say which offensive line wins the game. Um, as I laid out, I think Philadelphia's offensive line is really good. And I think that they they can pose a lot of problems to the front seven. And if they can, they can sort of take the will of the Vikings front seven, then that, I think they're going to do enough to win the game. And, and I think that that short dink and dunk uh, college passing game that they've implemented with Nick Foles, you know, along with a big physical offensive line, I think will do enough to win a close ball game. Now, if the Vikings can weather that storm, and conversely, if their offensive line uh, can find a way to protect Case against a, a really good front four and find a way to, to get the edge in the run game, then then I think the Vikings come out on top. So it's going to be just like everything else. I know it's cliche. It's going to be one of the one of the trenches, but uh, I think it's it's really important, especially when you have two very good run stopping defenses. That whoever does the best uh, on the offensive line is going to win the game. Ben, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks for coming back on the show. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017, from news and politics to true crime. 
comedy and history favorites. We've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, thanks for taking the time. Let's start in New England. What can you tell us about Tom Brady missing the Patriots press conference today? Well, uh, this is a, it's a slight injury issue, you know, and look, I, I don't mean to minimize Tom Brady's injury. It's a, uh, it's a right-hand injury for Tom Brady. He was limited in practice. My understanding is this is something that he's dealt with at least prior to, uh, at least uh, some prior weeks during the season, more of a re-aggravation than a new thing. Uh, I talked to a source uh, informed of his situation who said pretty recently, last I checked, he was fine. Um, so obviously that's a good thing, but you know, look, anytime Tom Brady has a hand injury, it's at least something worth noting. There's a lot of things that are going around the National Football League um, outside of the postseason when it comes to coaches and and even some players. Uh, but in Pittsburgh, there's a lot of things going on. Todd Haley, you're hearing he's not yep. getting resigned to even Mike Tomlin. You're hearing there's some rumors floating around about him not getting a job. Uh, what do you know about what's going on there with Mike Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Steelers? To my knowledge, Mike Tomlin is not in any trouble at all. Uh, I mean, I would, you know, he's making decisions on how to proceed with his team, offensive coordinator, defensive staff changes, which I don't think there are going to be any, but, you know, potential. Um, also, he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, he's won a Super Bowl. He's got a long extension. He's got the best record of any Steelers coach. Uh, he is absolutely fine. Todd Haley, not as fine. Uh, they elected today not to renew his contract. Um he was out of contract. He's a free agent. And look, there, there have been, and we talked about it, there have been issues with Haley and Ben for a long time. Uh, they needed Randy Feedner, the quarterback's coach, to come down uh, from the booth and, uh, you know, sort of serve as the conduit there. That's an issue. Uh, so they move on from him and, and now need a new offensive coordinator. And who could be some of the names they're targeting to replace Todd Haley in? Well, Randy Feedner, the quarterback's coach, is certainly one. Um, Kirby Wilson, the former running backs coach there who ended up with the Cleveland Browns this year, uh, he would be another option. I know he's close with Mike Tomlin and extremely well-respected. That would be another. Um, Jim Caldwell is another one. You know, remember, he's out of work, um, fired from the Lions, but a very, very, very respected offensive coordinator. Um, so those are some options there. You know, I would say Feener is probably the favorite. Um but they're going to have. They're probably going to do some interviews and take take their time. Jacksonville Jaguars, Blake Bortles. No one's going to give them a chance. Give me your take on nope. what they're going to be. Can they get it done going into Foxborough to play against New England? This is as good a defense as the Patriots have faced, um, and they do the thing that makes it so hard for Tom Brady is they can rush with four, get after him with four, and. You know, they don't have to blitz so they can really cover. I mean, that's that's a hard formula. It's one reason why they've been good. And I'm not sure the Patriots have faced a group of corners this good this whole year, um, you know, as far as Bouye and Ramsey. So it's going to be a battle. The only thing to me is, does Blake Bortles 
continue to be the Blake Bortles we've seen this year, which is someone who hasn't made as many mistakes and just kind of kept the game going. I mean, if I would say this. If Blake Bortles has no interceptions and no fumbles, the Jaguars will be in the mix and with a chance to win. If turn the ball over two or three times, then I do not think they will. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport. Ian, where do things stand with the Cardinals coaching search as of today? Well, uh, here is my understanding. You know, they still have six candidates still alive. They have some interest in, uh, they had strong interest in Mike Munchak, who you know, sort of surprisingly elected to stay uh, in Pittsburgh uh, this year, uh, despite interest, you know, a lot of interest from the Cardinals. So he's going to stay. And they have a strong interest in John D. Filippo. I know they like him a lot. Um, there's been some talk that Brian Flores, um, you know, from the Patriots linebackers coach, that he's still a candidate. They like Steve Wilkes a lot. Um, you know, so they, they still have some options, but they are definitely taking their definitely taking their time there. Does Kirk Cousins, we haven't talked about him in a while, does he stay in Washington? I don't know. Uh, I know they are considering it, and to me it was really two options. It was franchise him at 34 and try to work out a long-term deal or just let him go. And, you know, there's just not a lot of precedent for teams letting franchise quarterbacks walk. I mean, I honestly can't remember the last non-injury situation where a franchise quarterback was even available. Alex Smith maybe, but he got replaced by Kaepernick. Well, you know, whatever it costs, if the Redskins are going to replace Cousins, they better have someone better. And who actually is that? So I would say that's to be determined, but I'm definitely not one of those people that's assuming that he's going to be free. Let's wrap it up with Case Keenum. And I know a lot would hinge on making history by winning a Super Bowl as the home team. But overall, macro view, how do you think the Vikings are going to approach his contract situation? Well, you know, he could be looking at – uh, which is crazy, but the way he's played this year, the position he's put this team in, it's not that that crazy. And you know, nobody wants to pay that twenty-two million for a quarterback. But you know, if you're Case Keenum, why would you negotiate anything before the franchise tag? Just say tag me or not. If you don't tag me, then I'm a free agent. If you do tag me, then we'll negotiate off there. Like I don't, I would be surprised if any negotiations are going to happen before they franchise him. Um, so then it'll be a very interesting decision for the Vikings, no doubt about it. Ian, great information as always. Enjoy the games on Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wonder. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history History is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's head across the league with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Sage, thanks for taking the time to join us once more. After the miracle in Minnesota, undeniably Case Keenum has validated that he's going to be the starter next year for the Vikings, even if Minnesota doesn't make it to the Super Bowl. But how do you think they're going to handle things financially with Keenum? 
Oh, you know, I, who knows? I actually ran into the Vikings contract negotiator on Saturday, uh, just randomly in Minneapolis, and we sort of talked about it. And he said, you know, they really haven't discussed it all that much. Uh, you know, they're just so focused on this season, getting through this season. You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, Case Keenum could tear his ACL in the first quarter of this football game and, you know, throw any plans that they may have, you know, for a loop. So, you know, Case Keenum is one of those guys who has, in the old-fashioned way, earned his way to get to where he is now. And my guess is that, yes, the, the Vikings will pay him and, and pay him very well, uh, but it will still be some sort of earn-it contract. He, he has proven it in one season that he you know, is a very good NFL quarterback. Uh, but, you know, to, to get a huge, you know, $125 million contract with 50 or 60 or $70 million guaranteed, he's going to have to prove it a little bit longer than that. So my guess is it will be a big number next year. And then after that, if he plays well, uh, then he'll be getting paid, you know, after that. But if he doesn't, my guess is that the Vikings will have a way uh, to get out of future years if for some reason Case Keenum ends up being a one-year wonder. But if he pulls off a Joe Flacco where he goes out and play really well and take him to a Super Bowl and win it, you think they may try to give him a big deal. Not as lucrative as some may think, but something well enough to, to let him know he's deserving of it. But how much of a monkey wrench has he thrown into the mix of how they actually try to figure out who's going to be the quarterback next season by how great he's played so far? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is, and you brought up Joe Flacco, you know, he had had, you know, what, four, maybe five years of pretty good quarterback play or very good quarterback play than won that Super Bowl and, of course, cashed in. Case in a different situation, one year, right? So I think that's where the, the situation's a little bit different. The thing is with the Vikings is they absolutely love Teddy Bridgewater before his injury, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago. I mean, they were in love with him. I mean, the, the quarterback's coach, Kevin Stefanski, you know, I remember talking to him saying, now, I'm on the Teddy Bridgewater train, love this guy. You know, he, he's, he's going to be a really good quarterback for a long time for the Minnesota Vikings and in the NFL. He tears the ACL, and I think just nobody, nobody expected Case came to do this. And so uh, there, there probably is a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side because of that, you know, because they, they, you know, whether it's, General Manager Rick Spielman or Head Coach Mike Zimmer uh, or, or their, you know, whoever their offensive coordinator is going to be next year, uh, they like Teddy Bridgewater as well. So my guess is they're going to try to get him back too. And uh, that's a little bit of leverage if for some reason Case Keenum is looking for that Joe Flacco-type contract. Uh, they may say, you know what, we're just not going to go all in on a guy who had a one-year, uh, one sort of one-hit wonder. we got a guy, Teddy Bridgewater, that we absolutely love. So there's a little bit of leverage on the Vikings side in this situation. Sage Rosenfels is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Sage, I'm not trying to be a hot take artist here, but is it fair to point out that both Case Keenum and Nick Foles have wound up playing in the FC title game after they stopped playing for Jeff Fisher? Is there any cause and effect there? Yeah, yeah I think there is. I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point. that If you look back at Jeff Fisher's time with the St. Louis Rams and the L.A. Rams, that uh, you know, he was a defensive guy. He's an old, you know, old school Bears guy, right? He played for the old school '85 Bears, who had one of the great defenses, if not the best defense in the history of the National Football League. But their offense, other than Walter Payton, uh, what really wasn't all that exciting with uh, with Jim McMahon at the helm. So uh, that's sort of in his blood and his DNA, and it's pretty obvious that he just kept missing on you know coaches uh, with that offense. I said, whether St. Louis or, or L.A. So uh, I don't think he appreciated you know, how, how important a really good offensive coordinator is, one that's not just detailed, not just demanding, but you know, extremely creative and understands how to use you know, different weapons because they had weapons on that football team 
with L.A., and, and they obviously didn't use Todd Gurley, uh, who was an MVP candidate this season. They obviously didn't use him and all his abilities. He isn't just a just a tailback. He can catch the football in the backfield. He can do screens. He can he, he called it. I remember catching a him catching a seam route at some point early in the season. The guy is multidimensional, and it's you know a good offensive coordinator nowadays. And we saw it with Sean Payton the other day. You take advantage of all the players and all their different. Uh, abilities, and it's pretty obvious that Jeff Fisher was not hiring offensive coordinators that took advantage of the talent they had on that roster. Give me your understanding about where Andrew Sandejo is, considering the concussion that he uh, ended up getting in the early part of this game. You think he'll be healthy to come back uh, for this weekend? Well, you know, I'm I'm just an analyst, uh, you know, watching the team, right? So I think that's going to be a question for, uh, you know, the uh, you know the 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 doctors and, and trainers and everyone that's you know diagnosing him and, and working with him right now. My guess is he's gonna get tests every single day. And and the hard part is that you know Zendejo is one of those sort of old school. I don't know if he was undrafted or a seventh round draft pick, but one of those guys who has worked his way up from practice squad to the roster as a special teams guy. Uh, and the reason that he's on the Vikings and, and starting is because he's a hard hitting safety. He throws his body, uh, which includes his shoulder and his head all over that football field. And uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, he swings to the fences a lot. Sometimes he misses, but a lot of times he connects. So he is, uh, you know, he uses his head a lot in the, the way he plays the game. And, uh, you know, so, so my, this is probably not his first concussion. He's, I'm sure he's been hitting the head his fair share. So usually it seems like, from what I've noticed in the past, the guys who play that way, it does take them longer to come back. Uh, and, uh, and it might not be a bad idea uh, you know, to, to hold him out. And, and obviously he's a very good player. The Vikings would miss him, but they have to do with one, what's in the best interest of him and his health. Uh, and two, uh, you know, they've got, they would have a bye week if they win the football game this week and allow him two more weeks to recover before playing probably the new England Patriots, but you know, new England or Jacksonville in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you're ready for the conference championship games coming up on Sunday with Sage Rosenfels. Let's move to the AFC. We know that Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback of all time. But, Sage, how much confidence do you have the Patriots are going to move the ball at will against a very tough Jacksonville defense? I, I do. I think that, you know, Josh McDaniels and Brady and, and Belichick, they, they, you know, everyone seems to just want to say, well, is this the end of the road or is there turmoil going on and, and just sort of come up with things. But at the end of the day, this is their seventh championship game in a row. You know, I fully expect them to win this football game and, and get the Super Bowl. Yes, Jacksonville has an outstanding defense, but the Patriots have played some pretty good defenses this year. And, and here they are, you know, really fairly easily uh, in the AFC championship game. So uh, I, I just don't see Blake Bortles and that offense allowing uh, you know, are uh, 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 scoring uh, you know that many points uh, than the Patriots this week. Uh, you know, Belichick he's going to go to his his old school game plan, which is take away what Jacksonville does best, which is run the football and force you know really the worst player on that offense to beat them, which is Blake Bortles. And the, you know, the question is, uh, can Blake Bortles? Even with advantageous, you know, coverages, you know, beat uh, this New England secondary and, and beat Tom Brady on the other side. When you look at this this Jacksonville team, they've done everything well, in spite of Blake Bortles. And when he doesn't turn the football over, they're ten and zero. Is that enough to be able to go into New England and actually be able to try to squeak one out? Because no one thought this team would be here because of Blake Bortles. 
Yeah, you know, I think that what, what Belichick is going to do, he's going to load that box. He's going to load the box, and I, my guess is he play, also plays a lot of man coverage uh, to make all the throws contested. You know, if you play, you know, off coverage and, and allow sort of free access to the wide receivers and tight ends, that allows for easier completions. My guess is that they'll try to take away the run by loading the box, but also, you know, playing up and up in your face man-to-man type coverages. Uh, so, you know, every throw that Bortles makes, has to be on point, and he's not a very accurate quarterback. And, uh, you know, he's not Drew Brees. We saw Drew Brees slice and dice in the Minnesota defense who played that style. Uh, I don't see Bortles being that type of, you know, having that type of accuracy consistently over the course of four, uh, you know, four quarters up in New England in really bad weather. Um, my guess is that over time he'll, you know, either miss a lot of throws or he'll start throwing the ball to the other team. Taking around the league with Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, you ended your career playing for the New York Giants. As you watched Eli Manning compete this year, where do you think he is at this stage of his career? How much effective football do you think he has left? You know, I don't know. That's, that's a really good question, and I'm a huge Eli Manning fan. And, and I, I think what, uh, you know, what was hard for me to watch this year was you know, he, he's never been a mobile guy, uh, but it's become more and more apparent at the end of his career that, uh, you know, that, that's a part of his football game, which is, you know, getting worse, and that, that happens to most quarterbacks. Uh, but, uh, you know, in this day and age, with the way the league is, you look at the, the best quarterbacks in the league, and other than Tom Brady, uh, you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson, uh, you know, Matt Stafford. These guys are moving around, and, you know, they're very accurate within the pocket, but when things break down, they're, they're creating a lot. Uh, you know, that's when a Case Keenum's, you know, really, you know, greatest strength is the ability to, to make the play when the original play isn't there. And that's not Eli's strength, never has been. Uh, when he was, a, in a, you'd say, an elite quarterback, of course, the question is, isn't Eli an elite quarterback? But when he was in his prime, they were running the football with that awesome offensive line with Sean O'Hara and Chris Snee and Kareem McKenzie and Richie Soybert and David Deal. He had those guys for both of those Super Bowls. And, uh, and you know, that, that offensive line is long gone, and they have not replaced, you know, uh, they have not replaced with guys with players that anything resemble any of those five. So uh, when Eli doesn't have a good offensive line in a running game and in the play action, he's not a very effective quarterback. And he just, just the way he is, you know, just sort of is, he's not one of those guys who can really make the guys around him much better, like, say, Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Sage, when you look at what's going on in Pittsburgh, a lot of conversations being had across the board, whether it's conversations coming out of camp about Le'Veon Bell's new contract to Ben Roethlisberger going from one extreme to the next about staying or leaving to Todd Haley and and, and rumors of maybe he may not be there to even uh, Coach Mike Tomlin and, and, and hear rumors about him. Give me your take on what's going on in the landscape around the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. Well, you know this as much as you know as anybody. That organization, sort of like the Giants, has just been a you know as, as consistent as you're going to find the National Football League since their inception. And for the most part, they've always done everything right, and you know just sort of a you know first class uh, you know organization. But for whatever reason, the last couple of years there just seems to be uh, you know more you know talk and, and and more you know sort of issues that come up. You know, you, you know, you call them locker room issues or media issues or whatever. You know, things you know leaking out that uh, you know don't happen in the, in the best organizations. You're, you don't hear things like that right now in Minnesota. You never hear, you know, really much in you know with the uh, New England Patriots. But you know, and I love Mike Tomlin as a coach. Uh, they've got tons of talented players on that football team. Le'Veon Bell is, is an absolute stud. You know, obviously Brown is, is uh, probably the best receiver in the National Football League. Uh, but uh, sometimes talent. 
uh, you know, what comes with that, you know, big egos. And it seems like there's some really big egos on that team. And for whatever reason, Mike Tomlin uh, is failing to sort of rein all that in uh, and uh, and keep a team first. And there seems to be some guys who are uh, who are stepping outside of the team concept, and, and he's going to have to figure that out. I think you know if, if they fire Mike Tomlin, I think it's the dumbest move you know ever. But uh, uh, he's going to have to find a way to get this team to put team first and and, and you know those individual uh, awards, whether it's accolades and and things like that or, or big contracts. They take care of themselves in the National Football League if you put if you put team first. Stage, since you also played for the Dolphins, let's wrap it up in Miami. According to reports, Jay Cutler wants to play at least one more year. You got Ryan Tannehill trying to come back from his latest knee injury. How do you see their offseason quarterback situation? I, I got to assume if Tannehill's healthy, you know, he'd be the guy that's back. Uh, you know, he, in his first year with Adam Gates, he had the best year of his career. His rating, QB rating, was in the high 90s, I believe, 95, 97, something like that. So. You know, he, he was looking like the guy, you know, sort of like the Teddy Bridgewater situation, you know, a guy that the team liked but was really improving as time went on. So he looked like the guy who was, you know, going to be the man of the future. But, and, and I just don't see, you know, with Cutler and, and that fan base, you know, they didn't, uh, they, didn't play, they didn't do anything special this year, obviously. There was games where their offense looked, it was just a joke. I remember Adam Gates saying a couple of times during the season that their offense was pathetic. So uh, even though if Cutler wants to play again, I, I cannot imagine the Dolphins wanting, uh, wanting him back. And my guess is they're going to go after, you know, Ryan Tannehill, but they could be going after, you know, somebody else. There's going to be, there's going to be a name or two other than just draft picks, but there's going to be a name uh, or two out there that surprises people. Uh, you know, shoot case Kingdom's a free agent. What happened to him? Uh, could, can Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you know, be, be taken. I mean, could he, could he go back home? You know, he's from the Fort Lauderdale area. Uh, would he be a guy that they like more than Tannehill? So there always seems to be a name or two that surprises people. And my guess the Dolphins will be interested if they can't uh, upgrade at the quarterback position. Sage, we always enjoy the conversations that you're kind enough to extend to us on this program. Thanks again for coming back on the show and hope to see you in person when we get to the Super Bowl in Minnesota. Hey, thanks. Can I, can I ask one question? I want to ask Cordell. Cordell, what was, could you compare? Were you, were you thinking about that? Help me. I, I grew up watching your Hail Mary throw, uh, you know, against the Michigan. Could you compare what you saw with Stephon Diggs to uh, you, the, that, that Michael Westbrook connection? Oh, man. Uh, say that, that's a good question. Because um, the feeling I got watching that, that play happen, um, it, it was about as crazy uh, as that one was for me in, 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 uh, in Michigan. But this is what I'll say. The shock factor – on Case Keenum's face was probably the same for maybe five seconds longer uh, than mine was. Um, It's like the ball goes up in the air. You see it gets tipped. Michael catches it. And now it's a reaction. And and, and what's the reaction? It's almost like you pause, like somebody hit you in your throat, right? Because you're playing around. And all of a sudden, you get a chance to scream. it, It just comes out at the highest level. So that one, I think, you know, it both had probably the same different significance, of course, uh, both were wins, but this one catapults this team to an NFC championship game. But I have to be honest with you, Sage, man. If you've ever been a part of something like that, to where the the, the, the outcome is not just a win, but maybe moving you up in ranks in college to, to even get into a NFC championship game, dude, it took us a while to come off of that high because we had to play the Texas Longhorns the next week, and we were all drained the next week having to go down to Texas and play down in Austin. So it took a while to get our feet back on the ground, but it's exhausting, to be honest. And, and, and I think from 1 to 10, 
uh, both plays probably about a 13 to me because uh, you never imagine it happening and it ended up happening. And uh, not to, you know, Two great guys, by the way, just so you know, Sage. Two great guys. Myself and you Case, and Case Keenum. Keenum. Thank Myself you. Cordell Modest, Keenum. as always, Sage. Thank you for feeding <laughs> the eagle once more. <laughs> Sage, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us again right, on guys. the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, Sage. Okay, thanks for having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight the reigning world champs with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, thanks for joining us again once more. Tom Brady, not part of the Patriots press conference today with a reported hand injury. How big of an issue do you think this could be? Well, it certainly gave us a buzz, right? You know, uh, people are complaining about maybe the quarterbacks that are uh, around for the Final Four and gave us a buzz when uh, the PR director walks in and says, Brady's not coming to talk today because he's with the medical staff and he'll be on the injury report. Um, and then when we find out it's right hand, not something he's been on the injury report with at all this year. And he did, if you watched closely, various points throughout the year, he would be flexing the hand, looking at the hand, looking at the hand on the sideline. So I don't know if this is something that he's dealt with or if this is a practice injury today. Um, You know, he was on the field to start practice uh, when the media is allowed out there to watch stretching and early drills, and then he ends up limited uh, on the official injury report, and, you know, he was spending time with the medical staff, uh, apparently being evaluated slash treated. Um, You know, because it's Tom Brady, and we are now, what, 17 years into him as a starting quarterback, and the only time he's missed any time due to injury was the torn ACL, in 2008, I think people assume he'll be out there. You know, I know players say it. Devin McCourty says it all the time. I don't know. I don't really pay attention when he's on the injury board if he's hurt because he's always been out there for us. I, I, you know, I stopped worrying about that years ago. Um, And I think fans and media sort of take the same approach, but you know, he's not Superman. And for whatever reason, he's now dealing with a hand injury and it's his right hand and his throwing hand. And he's going against one of the best defenses in football this coming Sunday. So I think a lot of people maybe thought the Patriots were going to uh, walk right through the Jaguars to another Super Bowl. Maybe this gives you a moment of pause. Yeah, and when you hear that about Tom Brady, knowing that, as you mentioned, they're playing against, uh, I would say, arguably, probably the best defense in the game because they have a knack to getting the football and scoring touchdowns better than anyone has had. I think since the time I've been watching football, it's been it's very rare you see teams being able to recover fumbles and take them back to the house. How big of a game will this be for this offense? Because this may be the biggest matchup in a sense of how physical a team is defensively than they've seen all year. Yeah, you look at the Jaguars' defense, and I know they gave up 42 last week, and certainly the Patriots have the potential to put up 40, uh, 42 on just about anybody, but there's a lot of athletes on that football. There's a football team. There's a lot of speed. You look at the front, they got four guys with eight-plus sacks. They have the ability to get after the quarterback, move guys around. You know, Calais Campbell uh, is a first-team all-pro defensive end and a second-team all-pro defensive tackle because no one really knows what he is. He's just a great defensive front player. They have the linebackers, Miles uh, Jack there. 
uh, Telvin Smith, the ability to run after the running backs. You know, the Patriots like to get the ball out to James White and Deion Lewis. Well, this is a team that has some athletes that can, can match with that. All pro corners. This is a major challenge. Now, I will say, I think it's a major challenge for the Jaguars, too, because you're talking about the best offense in football. Theoretically, assuming he's healthy and ready to go, you're talking about Tom Brady uh, coming off a 300-plus yard performance, three touchdowns. You know, there's matchups on both sides. This is a this is a classic case of who do you want? You know, uh, the the top defense or do you want the top offense? And you know, there's guys with different philosophies on what you take there. But um, you know, I I'm really interested in the matchups themselves because you know I mentioned the linebackers. Well, we know Tom Brady wants to get rid of the ball quickly. He's done it previously this year when they played teams with pass rushers like like the Chargers and the Broncos, and those were big games for his running backs. But can these linebackers? help negate that um you know the one guy i think is really interesting is is danny amendola a guy that has 11 catches last week 13 targets 100 yard game he just sort of slid right into that julian edelman role in the slot you know colvin i think is the third corner for jacksonville but can you can you get to that point where you take advantage of the third corner because that's the matchup that tom brady likes and targets but it, it all starts with the offensive line to me you know the, we know the history the history tells us if the Patriots are going to get upset and lose in the postseason, it's because the offensive line gets their butts handed to them by a very good pass rush that can send four guys and make life hell for Tom Brady. And if this offensive line falls victim to that storyline and that theme, that's a problem. Chatting with Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio, Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Andy, are the Patriots getting any healthier at the running back position? They've been dealing with some injuries at that spot. Yeah, they, they should have all their guns. Um, and that could mean Mike Gillisley is inactive again because he's a healthy scratch. But last week uh, it was mostly uh, Deion Lewis and you got James White back who had missed some time with an ankle injury. Uh, now you could get Rex Burkhead back. He's expected to play. And as I said, Gillisley, if you need him, might be available. Both of those guys with knee injuries, they're practicing. But, um, you know, I don't even know if they really want to extend that. Uh, I, I think they kind of like this Deion Lewis is the guy mode and then James White is just the, the mix-in passing back because I think it's three straight games Lewis has had 125-plus yards from scrimmage. Um, he is proving that he can be the workhorse and still be a factor with the screen. He had like a 31-yard screen last week. Um, this is, quite frankly, when this offense has been at its best and I would say most difficult to defend over the last couple of years, it's these stretches when Deion Lewis has been at his best. It started early in 2015 when he – was sort of the breakout story in the NFL. And now down the stretch, it's the same thing. Because when he's on the field, there's no predictability. It's not, oh, James White's on the field, so this is a passing situation. Deion Lewis is just as good a passing back as, as what most teams put out there in that third down role. And he's become a workhorse runner. You know, he's become a guy that averages four and a half to five and a half yards per carry when they give him those 15 to 25 touches over the last month plus. So, yeah, I think they're healthier at running back, but. Quite frankly, I think they're at their best when Deion Lewis is the focal point of the backfield. Andy, you have Rob Gronkowski, who's the leading receiver on this football team uh, when it comes to uh, receptions. Um, and, and people can't cover him for obvious reasons. I mean, he's just a big target. He's one that, you know, when it comes to matchups, they, com- they create complete hell, I think, against secondaries and linebackers. Do you see one someone on this football team that's capable of covering him to maybe cause problems in the passing game? Well, you know, there's a bunch of candidates. And, you know, I would say the combination of one of their safeties, uh, Church or Gibson, um, and one of those linebackers, Jack and Smith, um, can run. But 
there's also this intriguing storyline of, and we've seen the Patriots do it in the past with Aqib Tlaib, match him up with a tight end. They took Jimmy Graham out of a game because they said, we're going to put our big best corner, Aqib Tlaib, on your big best weapon, your tight end. Would the, would the Jaguars do that with Jalen Ramsey? Um, I think that would be a bold move for them because I think it sets into motion sort of a series of, of matchup questions where that would really allow Brady to find his guy. If you're going to use your all-pro corner, you know, your big guy, um, well, now who do you put Bouye on? Okay, you put him on Cooks. Well, now I have both Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola working against third and fourth corners or safeties. Um, so I think there's a trickle-down effect where, yeah, maybe Ramsey is an intriguing athlete, and we've seen it occasionally. You know, the Cowboys did it with Byron Jones a couple years ago, a young cornerback slash safety mix. And Byron Jones did a really good job against Gronk. So sometimes those, those athletic outside type guys, you know, they can do the job, but that just, you know, pushes Brady to look in a different direction. And this offense has the, the depth of weapons where he'll go that way. Um, and that said, you know, if it's down in the red zone, I don't care if there's a corner on Gronk or not, how big you are as a corner. I think Brady still goes to Gronk in that situation, whether it's an all-pro over there or not. So um, I am intrigued with how they decide to go after uh, Gronk. And if you listen to Doug Marone, (laughs) their plan of attack is hope. Hope Brady doesn't throw it to him. Hope that Gronk drops it if he does throw it to him. And I'm hoping he has a little bit more uh, game plans than that. Andy Hart, Patriots at .com Radio, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Andy, I'm sure you've been talking about the Tom Coughlin factor He's not the coach. He's running the football operations, but we know about his head-to-head success against the Patriots. you think that will have any impact on Sunday? I don't really. Uh, and I'll tell you, Bill Belichick's been sort of quick to dismiss this because you're right. It's been a popular topic, talk radio up here. Uh, he's been asked about it, every media availability this week. And he's really poo-pooed at first. He says, you know, uh, how do you even know what Coughlin's doing? What is his stamp on this team? You know, their GM, Caldwell and Marone. Um, are guys that he knows and respects. And, and I think a little bit of it, quite frankly, um, is rubbing him the wrong way. I think he, he finds the discussion maybe a little disrespectful to Caldwell, their GM, and Doug Marone, the head coach. And, and I wonder if he sees it as a little bit like when he was in Parcells' shadow and then that you know infamous end with the Jets when Parcells was going to be the president and Belichick was going to be the head coach, and he said, no, I, I don't want any part of this, and he got out from underneath that shadow. So he's really poo-pooed that storyline. But I'll tell you, fans haven't. There's a small subset of Patriots fans that are scared to death of this ghost of Tom Coughlin taking over the Jaguars and you know bringing that giant imprint. And it doesn't hurt that this Jags team has the makings to beat the Patriots that style. You know, put four pass rushers in front of Brady that the line can't handle and get after it. Um, but in reality, you know, this is this isn't really Tom Coughlin's team. And you, and you read these reports that he's in the press box just questioning every move, and it sounds like he would love to be on the sideline to have the challenge uh, of beating Bill Belichick. But um, I think that's a, that's a good media talking point, good talk radio talking point, but I don't know how much reality there is in it. Uh, Andy, give me your, give me your take on Josh McDaniel. I may, have, I may have missed the boat on that one as far as his opportunity of being a head coach somewhere, but do you hear anything about him? Maybe because they don't leak anything out in that area. But do you hear anything yeah. about him going somewhere to have a chance to be an Indy or somewhere else? Yeah, it certainly sounds like Indy's the place. And what that would lead me to believe if I'm a Colts fan, that means Josh saw Andrew Luck's medicals and is, is more than happy to go there because I don't think you, you pinpoint that as a job to take if you're worried about Andrew Luck's future because you're tied to him. He just signed a mega contract. Um, so I, it sounds like Josh is going to go to Indy. 
Josh McDaniels, and it sounds like Matt Patricia is sort of a done deal with the Lions. And now we have these reports today that um, Ryan Flores may be the uh, uh, the final top candidate uh, for the Arizona Cardinals job, and that's the Patriots linebackers coach. And I know people are saying historically that's never happened, where a team has lost three assistant coaches to become head coaches the following year, and it would really decimate this coaching staff. And, you know, they don't necessarily have obvious candidates in place to step up to those coordinator positions. I mean, Flores is the, the obvious guy on defense, but if he's gone, um, this would be a major overhaul and rebuilding process for Bill Belichick if, quite frankly, he's around, you know, and everybody's starting to wonder if, you know, is the entire band breaking up? But um, just in terms of McDaniels in particular, I think this is the year he jumps, and I think he's pairing himself with what he believes will be a healthy Andrew Luck that I'm intrigued by because I'm a big Josh McDaniels fan. I know it blew up the second year uh, in Denver, uh, but I think he's a really good offensive coach. I think he's a good young football coach still. Um, who can bring a lot to a football team, and you pair him with a healthy Andrew Luck, I think that's a franchise quarterback, and I think suddenly you know, that's a Colts team that could turn around pretty quickly and once again be a, a title contender in the AFC. If you're looking for an offensive coordinator, unfortunately you can't call Charlie Weiss Jr. because Lane Kiffin beat you to the punch. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that would have been on uh, Bill's list of first calls <laughs> for a new offensive coordinator. <laughs> and the always great information. Thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure, guys. Uh, just cross your fingers that we don't have Brian Hoyer versus Blake Bortles on Sunday because I think that would suck <laughs> the fun out of this game. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.